0: five minutes i'll jump in the car i'll jump in the car and see you guys shortly
1: okay you got gonna make hector a no host hey hey guys it's friday night everyone we're having some technical difficulties but uh we've got uh will Farnell gonna be joining us and andrew and hector um are on here as well
2: hello everyone
1: Hey guys
2: hector no video today
3: no i got video okay. you have to make me a panelist i think
1: I think host. I just made your oh, co-host. You're, you're you should... co-host.
2: You're a co-host. You're co-host. You're good to go. You're good okay. to
1: go, buddy. Good.
2: There you're, we are. Okay. We okay. got the team back together.
1: <laughs> it's been a yeah. long
2: time, guys. It has been several weeks. Oh, look at this. You've I even got the table
3: <laughs> <laughs> the, the studio team.
2: gets better every week, Hector.
3: Kinda, kinda. Not really.
2: <laughs>
3: I got my, my dynamic microphone back. It was uh, somewhere else. So audio should be better today.
1: That's great, that's great. How you guys been? I, it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a few weeks.
2: It has, it has been uh, a while and lots of good things going on. And just for those of you who are tuning in live, Will will be joining us. He's just struggling with some technical difficulties himself. So he's moving to a place with some better wifi and he'll be on in probably about five minutes. Um, but yeah, things have been amazing. Uh, obviously Hector came out to visit us uh, up uh, in Toronto. We hung out in Toronto a little bit, hung out at my cottage. He went to visit you out in Montreal. Um, you know, yeah. we've all had some time off a little bit in between, um, so it's been it's been good. It's hard with this summer weather to be uh, up and on on Friday nights. It seems to be a lot easier to be available Fridays at eleven thirty in the winter, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, with with the with this weather, we're wanting to enjoy it and just enjoy each other's company. And we don't we rarely get to see each other in person you know we see each other on video but actually in person so it was um it was great just i get the short short amount of time with hector and his family and they uh they were definitely on uh summer canadian time which was which, was <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> which is great so he's just such cute kids and uh seemed like they were enjoying their time in canada which is which is awesome and um and you get that you get that time andrew and so it looks like i'm gonna have to come to toronto or you're gonna have to come to vermont and we're gonna have to hang out now
2: um, yes we we definitely got to get you down here hopefully you'll be down here for kvc toronto that would be pretty cool if we get you I, you were saying you put in an application to be a sneaker for that
1: yeah yeah and I'm, I'm putting an application in for uh, uh an advisory talk as well as I'm, I'm, I'm we're putting an application to do a uh, firm in the future panel with um with julia and, and and steve as well as uh a few other a couple others so uh, put in a good word for me, Andrew. I know you get a lot of influence up there. <laughs> I got none, oh, in, none, in Canada. So, uh, I'll,
2: I'll do, I'll do what I can. I certainly know a few people that into it here in Toronto.
1: Um,
2: so, uh, Cheryl, if you're listening, and Scott, if you're listening, uh, we'll be reaching out, and you've got to get this guy up here. Well, maybe, we, maybe we'll have to do a, um, a fundraiser like like we did for everyone uh, last year. Get you guys
1: up here that way. There you go. I mean, it's okay. I, I can, I can. Uh, I can afford to come. You, you okay. can afford it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can afford the flight.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they, yeah. they, they do some kind of speaker, small speaker payment or some expense reimbursement, whatever like they do in San Jose, but maybe, maybe they have a different budget. So Yeah,
2: yeah I, th- I think they definitely have a different budget. I know um, there's usually definitely, they'll pay you for, for your time, but I noticed the last few years, they're trying to focus more on getting local people, mm. um, trying not to... To fly people in as much, um, so it's it's going to be harder for you to 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 get up, um, even though you're actually probably closer than many Canadians.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll do what we can to get you up here, and, and if not, you'll we'll we'll definitely get some time to hang out. And um, I I know uh, I'm going to convince you to try some skiing, um, and go. maybe we can get out on the hills in Vermont.
1: There you go. That's great.
2: That's great. At, yeah, it's, it's too bad we couldn't hang out with all three of us. That would have been pretty awesome, too. We gotta, maybe we should uh, uh, arrange a boys' trip one night or one weekend, maybe, and maybe we just go out and do some golfing or something. Maybe meet up somewhere in between the three of us.
1: That's great. Somewhere in between, like Miami. <laughs> yeah,
2: real <laughs> in between, right, Hector? So,
1: so, so Hector, you know, we, haven't, we haven't spoken since you got back to Miami. What was your highlight? of visiting Canada just so for all our Canadian viewers they uh, they want to know what the highlight of visiting Canada is
3: oh um when you're driving the highway does it doesn't say don't drink and drive it says don't drive high
1: <laughs> <laughs> So that was
3: pretty interesting that <laughs> never seen true. that
1: before That <laughs> is very interesting
3: oh, I, I would say that I, I think just that Niagara Falls was a great experience also there's so much opportunity in Canada. There's so much open space, so much, you know, you have a country the size of the U.S. with a tenth of the population. I noticed when I was driving from Niagara Falls to uh, to the lake area, it was just farm after farm after farm after farm. There was nothing developed. I just see so much opportunity up there. My wife and I were even talking about purchasing. We're like, you know, should we purchase a lake house or something up there? <laughs> With the whole family, it's like an awesome experience. I I I don't know how much real estate is up there. I don't know if real estate up there is cheap. I'm making the assumption based on how far it is and everything. But I I think there's tons of opportunity in Canada, or at least that was my impression.
2: Yeah, it it all depends where you go, right? If you get uh, in certain areas, cottages are a couple million dollars. uh, But there's always somewhere in between, right?
1: That's really really funny. That's that's great. Well, I'm glad you had a good time with your family.
2: Yeah, that must have been a, a nice trip for your kids. Uh, although there was a fair bit of time on the road with them, I guess, eh? Because you guys, you really, you really went across uh, a fair bit of travel. You went from Toronto to Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls to you know Cortha Lakes, Cortha Lakes back to Toronto, Toronto out to Ottawa, and then Ottawa out to Montreal and then home. Like that's a fair bit of driving.
3: It was like 11 or 12 hours of driving in total. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank God for devices. <laughs>
3: what would we do?
2: Remember back in the day when we didn't have Netflix and we didn't have YouTube and we had to actually entertain the kids in the backseat with games? The, Did I just cut I,
3: out? Yeah. I don't know. I I, I heard you. I, I was, uh, I was unmuted. You know, I've, I've I didn't, I, I can't give like a phone to my kids to, to, uh, to use in the car while in Canada because, well, first of all, I didn't have, I really didn't have internet connection there, unlimited internet connection there. So, um, so that was a li- bit of a challenge, but I did download some movies uh, legally, legal, <laughs> legal and had to so ha- ha-
2: apologize my laptop. guys. Yeah. I got interrupted. Did, did I post it to the wrong place? Should I stop the live and restart it?
1: No, we, we can keep going. I just don't know where you know. Uh, I just don't know who's able to find us because it's it's posted to some weird place. But we'll just have to share it on our own personal. No, it's
3: it's it's in the no no it's it's on the right it's on the right page, Michael.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's Woof, some yes. kind of. Like... Yeah, it's coming. Something coming coming up on some kind of weird biz dot buzz. I don't I don't know what that is. But... No
3: no no, it's in the right place, Michael. It's okay right okay,
1: place. that's great. Yeah,
2: yeah I did it. a, I did a test earlier on accounting biz um but uh hopefully it's in the
1: right place That's um
2: right. i should yeah sorry to interrupt go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought so you were downloading you downloaded some content
1: yeah yeah i, oh, I-, no,
3: no, I, da- I downloaded some some movies and i into my laptop and i basically propped the laptop up uh, cause we couldn't get a car that had like a DVD player <laughs> and, uh, and we had to stop by Best Buy. Which I love Best Buy. So stop by Best Buy, got a little audio cable, hooked it up from the laptop to the, to the, to the auxiliary port. And I bought a little uh, converter and they were able to watch movies in the car. So it actually worked out.
1: That's great. Well, we're waiting for Will. We're waiting for Will Farnell. He had some technical difficulties, so he's trying to find a better internet connection. Um, but the i think the topic tonight was going to be around digital advisory and and, and apps and i th- i know wills um he's pretty well known in the uk and he's working on a uh he's working on a new kind of uh business or website around this but maybe maybe we can talk about like how our firms um approach the topic of advisory um and doing that um you know, digitally, remotely, or, you know, how we approach advisory with our clients. Um, So it'd be great to maybe talk about that as we wait for Will to join us.
3: So when you say, how do I, how do we approach it? You're talking about how do we actually do it? Mm -hmm. What do we actually do? Or how do we market it? Which is because it's three different questions.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's how do we actually do it? What do we actually do? Do we only do it uh, in person? Do we do it virtually? Um, and, And how are apps involved? You know, are apps involved at all? Do we use dashboards? Do we automate some of it, um, or is it all you know human customized approach, manual? I think all that is. Um, Michael,
3: why don't we start by defining uh, advisory? Let's start by doing. That's that.
1: great. Like, that's great.
3: Okay. So I'll uh, I'll start. We'll start with you. I'll send it right back to you. In your in your office in your business, you have invoices that say bookkeeping, invoices that say projects, invoices that say cleanup invoices as a payroll, invoices as a sales tax. But when is there an invoice that says advisory? And if there's an invoice that says advisory, what exactly is that usually in your firm?
1: That's great, yeah. So oftentimes our invoice will actually say CFO services. So the most oftentimes advisory means CFO services. So that basically encompasses uh, any project, any uh, advice That's outside of transactional work um, and is really utilizing the um, the expertise of specific individuals that are doing that. So um, there are only specific individuals, including myself, as well as the CFOs that work with Reconciled um, and that advise our clients. And it's basically the use of their expertise, time, um, you know, involvement with clients. And so they are the ones that are providing that that those services. Um, so whenever they're involved, whenever they're requested to be involved, and whether whenever and it could be anywhere from they are renegotiating renegotiating uh, debt for a customer, they are presenting a pro forma, they're building a financial model, uh, they're giving general advice, they're reviewing a financial statement. Uh, really, there's a person tied to that. Um, for, and sometimes there's a the deliverable. Oftentimes, it's just advice, um, or it's meaningful time or value being provided. Um, well, let, me,
3: let me ask you a question, just so we can clarify things. Yeah. So you that there's that you can you can separate in your firm. These people do advisory or specialize in advisory, or the customers get escalated to them whenever it's exactly. advisory work. And these people don't. Not because they don't. They they can't. It's just that not what that's not what the place. So if, if you have one person that let's call them a bookkeeper, that's not earmarked for advisory and your customer calls and says, Hey, I need some advice on something that person says, okay, that looks and smells like advisory work. We're going to go ahead and send it upstream or, or, or to, or to a, a, a mate here in my office and we'll put you in contact with them. So that's, that's how it happens. Correct. So, that person cannot. So, okay. So, the bookkeeper does not earmark to do advisory. do Random advisory or, or answer random questions. Okay. Correct. Now, yeah. when that happens, do you call the client and say, Hey, I heard that you needed advice on X, Y, Z? Tell me a little bit about the project and then we'll give you a price. Or do you say, Hey, let's schedule it. Here's the price for advisory work. Like, what's the next step after you discover the customer's? asking for something that looks and smells like advice. Yeah, that's
1: great. We actually, it actually depends on the situation. We would probably, uh, depending on the situation, we would take both approaches, just what you described. So oftentimes it's, hey, I need, I need some quick advice and I talk to somebody that can provide that. And so me or one of the CFOs on our teams is going provide to that, provide that advice. It's probably going to be very quick, a 15 minute phone call. Um, and on every contract we have earmarked, um, if you want some time with one of the CFOs for something quick, this is what we're going to charge you, right? So for whether it's 200 an hour, 215 an hour, um, and at minimum, we're going to do an hour charge for that, advi- uh, that advice. Um, but if they, we could do a call and we learn, hey, you know, we've done this 15-minute phone call with you or 30-minute phone call and it sounds like you have actually a bigger project in mind. Um, you have an outcome you're trying to aim for. Let me come back to you with a proposal so that we can get to that outcome. So let's define what outcome you're trying to get to. Let's define, you know, whether it's time or whether it's uh, a specific deliverable, whatever it is that you're trying to get. And then we're going to come back to you with a proposal to, to do that. So usually that you know, initial 15 to 30 minutes of advice, if we, if we really can't answer that question or finish the deliverable at that time, we're going to come back with a proposal and say, this is going to take, we think it's going to take much longer. We think it's a bigger outcome than just this 15-minute phone call. Um, we, we, we wouldn't do you justice if we just ended this call and charged you let's, let's come back to you with a real proposal to, to, to give you what you need.
3: Could you give me a couple of examples of projects that you've done in the last six months? Oh yeah. Uh, How much it was, what it was, how long it took. I mean, we can't, we don't have to get into the details, but uh, at least those three things.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so a a great, a great example, um, you know, recently was a client, client comes to us and said, Hey, um, uh, I, you know, I have, we have another business. Um, you guys have been doing a great job for us we have the business on the side and, uh, the, the controller there has, there's a lot of manual work happening and they really like to automate that work. They really like to automate that work. And so they tell the bookkeeper that bookkeeper goes, well, we, you know, I'm not really equipped to help you automate anything, but we do have advisors that, um, you know, people that specialize in that. So why don't you call Michael and, or call Ian, our sales guy and figure that out. So they put the client calls us and we get in touch with the, um, we get in touch with, uh, with that. Uh, we get in touch with with the client and and we kind of define the scope of the project. And, um, and we were able to show them, hey, uh, oh, based on what you're describing, um, you have a very manual invoicing process. Um, you're in QB desktop. We, let's, let's move you over to QBO. Um, let's use Zapier to automate some of the flow there. And let's put in some email automation to do follow-up with your customers. So that's all kind of very defined. Um, that's a kind of a workflow automation project. We call that all advisory <laughs> in that, right? Right. right. Because but, we don't want to. There's
3: There was there was two key words that you said. Right. If the word workflow comes up in the conversation, right, help me improve my workflow. Yes. Or help me not automate waste something. Too much time. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I don't say automate. Well. Yeah. Some customers say automate, but it obviously doesn't make much sense when they do it. But, um, they say, look, we're wasting too much time here, or. Mm-hmm. You know we we want to or maybe I, I need to get rid of this employee and somehow um have the other people take over those tasks so anytime they say the word automate or workflow or improve a process that's you know a little bell in your head goes that looks like that's advisory looks like right. that might be a project it looks like you need to state the outcome so we can understand what we're committing to right okay that's good um that, that that's really good now what's for example let's say let's say that you have a, a customer that uh, wants to automate their payables and you probably get them into bill.com and wants to automate uh, some receipt uh, input process and you probably get them into receipt bank. I mean, we're not plugging the people we want to sponsor the show or anything. Right. Right. Um, or let's say, for example, <laughs> they say, you know, Hey, I want, I want to have a better CRM system so I can know, you know, what, what conversations we're having with our customer and you put them in something that's compatible with QuickBooks like method or something like that. And, um, you normally would spend a couple hours researching so you can present the apps, price. You probably do some training or recommend them to another trainer. And then you do the integration work to make sure that the data flow works right. And then some follow-up after. <clears throat> this project is probably anywhere between 30 days to 90 days, you would say.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah. What would
3: something like that cost in average? Uh,
1: yeah, it probably, you know, it was somewhere between uh, five to $15,000, right? Um, and depending on how heavy... The workload it's going to be. Um, And that's an example, right? Another example that's not even workflow related could be, you know, we've got, we've got all these friends and family loans for our business. We've got a line of credit with our, with our bank. We'd like to refinance all of it. And we'd like to go out and find a, you know, an angel investor or something and move it into equity somehow. Um, So let's, can we figure that out in a way to figure that out? So we'll have them talk with the CFO kind of analyze their balance sheet and go, One, do is you know is the approach you're asking even the right capital approach for the business? What are your growth goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, And then we'll come back with a proposal of, okay, this is what we think we can do for you. This is how we think we can work with you. And our end goal, we can't guarantee it, but our end goal will be this X outcome. um, Working alongside you, working alongside the investor, you know, network you you might have, working alongside banks that we might know that might be interested in your business, Um, or we might advise them that, hey what you're trying to do is actually not going to get to you to your goal. We're going to recommend something else. So that, that, that would be a completely different piece. And that project might be anywhere from a five to $15,000 total project as well. So, and for, for
3: those specifically where you have the word funding attached to, it, right. Cause th- those are a bit easier to work with because there's an outcome. The outcome has a financial result and well, yep. feels that the outcome of your work will, they will have money to pay you and that sort of thing. So, um, when, when that happens, do you get actually involved in like writing the executive summary or advising on, on the pitch deck? Do you, I mean, do you go that far or do you kind of draw a line um, in, in, in that area?
1: Yeah, like we really, really will get involved where we'll, we'll get involved where, um, where we can, we can have a, we can, take ownership of the financial part of those, whether that's the pitch deck or the executive summary, but we're not going to start writing up their sales strategy, right? Or their marketing presentation or their, their high level business strategy, mainly because we're not necessarily involved in that part of the business. And we don't want to dictate that. We really want to dictate the financial or accounting advisory side. And that's really the the biggest piece.
3: Okay. Thanks for that, Michael. Uh, What about you, um, Andrew? I know you've been texting Will to see if we can get him on. But um, if you need more time, let me know. What about you? What, what does advisory work look in your world and how does it get triggered? How does it get proposed and all that stuff? Yeah, I
2: mean, the the reality is we don't do a ton of advisory work right now. It's definitely something I want to do more of um, and wish I was doing more of. Where, where, where we're getting into the advisory work is, is more into this coaching stuff um, and how ultimately that gets triggered is we identify clients with a potential need, a potential benefit out of the tax work and out of the accounting work that we're doing. Um, and then we sort of say, hey, um, you know, we see some opportunity within your business or we see an opportunity to grow or whatever the case might be. Would you be interested in having a conversation about what we can do to help you succeed? Um, and then we move them along sort of the the training program that we have, which is a fairly new training program. And, and truthfully, I'm not even the one delivering it. Uh, we've got my dad who's, who's doing that. And he's, he's working um, with some people that we've got, as I mentioned before, that value builders program that we're uh, experimenting with. It's, it's still pretty new for us. So I have a lot to learn from what you guys are doing. Um, and so I think on this one, I should probably be a bit more of a fly on the wall than, than tell you guys what to do or how to do it. Cause I'm still figuring it out. Uh, but I, I have seen. And, and speaking of the texting with Will, Will's, uh, hes trying to get on. hes he, he was on for a little bit as on the telephone. We got him real close. Uh, I got some text messages coming in, so I apologize. I'm going to maybe turn it back over to you guys, um, and you can maybe give me some suggestions. I'll be listening and and listening in as I try to connect with with Will. Oh, oh, oh! I'm seeing good news. You guys see him in here, Will? Yeah. I made it. <laughs> Not too Let me just make you a, a um, co-host so that uh, you can share your video with us. But thank you for being persistent because I know it's it's very early in the morning for you right now. Will, um, what time is it there? You're in Glasgow, right?
0: No, I'm in I'm in Norwich, and it's uh, it's five to five. Um, and, uh, I've had, I've had, uh, broadband issues all week and last night, everything was good. So I thought, brilliant, got up this morning thinking everything was going to be fine and it wasn't. So I've just driven to my office. So I'm now, I'm now in the oh, office. Wow.
2: Thank you but, for, thank you for doing that.
0: But it's great to be here.
1: That's great. We can yeah. see you in here. You will.
3: So we're going to, we're going to catch you a little bit off guard then. How you doing? My friend, I've, we've never met, uh, no. so- Nice to meet you. So we, were, right. we, were, we were trying to define uh, what advisory looks like. How does, how, how does a client, how does a mundane client conversation uh, on bookkeeping and accounting somehow turn into advisory? And once it turns into an advisory and the client accepts, what is the actual work that gets done? What's the actual deliverable? Can, do you have some examples of stuff that you've done in the past?
0: I, I, so I think that the advisory thing's been going on for, it seems forever, doesn't it? And it seems that, that everybody thinks it's just about another software solution. Um, and I think for, uh, for me, the stuff I always say is when I think about advisory and my firm, um, my firm will be doing advisory when every client we've got picks up the phone and asks every question they've got. And it's, it's kind of as simple as that that 's it that 's all advisory is you don 't need you don't need flashy software you just need really great relationships and um, so uh, we we 're big advocates of of daily bookkeeping and one of the reasons we do that is it means we talk to our clients every week um so 60% of our clients we're doing daily bookkeeping for. Um, uh, we have great processes around that. We average four minutes per day per client. But what it means is at the end of every week, we're, we're calling a client or we're emailing a client and we're uh, we're chasing up those missing bits of information. But when you talk to a client at least 52 times a year, going to get to understand their pain points you're going to get to understand what keeps them awake at night and uh, uh, that's that's when you open the door to do advisory what it actually looks like is is i think more than uh more than just uh kind of doing some forecasting or giving them management information it's actually about how can you help them grow their business i think there's, there's three things you can do you either you either get a phone call from a client and and you answer their question then and there on the phone. And that's great because you've added value to the client. Um, it's something where you say, hey, yeah, I can help with that. We need to we need to price that up for you and send you a proposal uh, and we can do that. Or the third thing is you've got a client that can help them. Um, so you you win on both counts because you refer them to a, to a client to solve their problem. So. I, I, I think it's it's just about relationships and, and getting to know your clients really, really well. And advisory happens.
3: Will, let me ask you kind of a follow-up question to that. So if I try to unpack that a little bit, what you're saying is advisory is not a service that we package and say, this is advisory. And it doesn't necessarily have to have a deliverable or a special report, or it doesn't have to look like it had a beginning and an end sometimes advisory could be, and tell me if, if you think this is accurate, could be just listening the entire time that they were talking to you. And yeah. after, I don't know, 10,000 words the customer said, nine months later, they said one thing that you said, whoa, 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 whoa I remember this. And I think that you're going right down the wrong path because X Y, Z, you've been telling me this all this time. What you're saying makes no sense. You should think about it in a different way. My two cents is your deviating from the original goal and everything you talked to me about in the last 6 months and that's it that that could be the turning point of that client not going into another venture or divesting or 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 selling part of his business or whatever sometimes it's just listening for a very long time and then just having the right answer quickly and succinctly yeah. so the customer says yeah this is advice this is great advice so sometimes advisory the deliverable or the result of advisory it's not something that happens at the moment. It might happen six years worth of relationship and just saying the right thing at the right time. Yep. So it's not something you necessarily sell like a product, right?
0: Yes. I think the chat, the challenge that you have is, is you've got to make clients aware of what you're capable of doing because too often clients will, will look at us and they'll say, yeah, we're accountants or we're bookkeepers. And that means we do, we do X, Y, and Z and, and that's it. And that's where we've got to, Make sure that we communicate effectively to clients who we are, what it is we're trying to 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 do for them, and that we we're, that, that we're more than just somebody to to put their put their data into q b o or or whatever it is we're doing so that that's about positioning um and I think that that if you, I mean accountants have called themselves advisors for as long as I can remember um, and and when you actually drill down and ask people what that is, it's, oh yeah, we do cash flow and we do budgets and we do forecasts and uh, and everything else. And it's uh, uh, that that's not advisory. Uh, advisory is 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 helping people run their businesses, um, build better businesses, um, and and that's what we should be doing. We should we should be their their, their business partners. Um, but we have to position ourselves to do that. Um, I talk to accountants all the time, and they say I've got this client, and uh, uh, they've they've gone and got an action coach or whatever it is, and it's like I could have done that for them. Um, and the answer is you just you just not you're not telling people you're not you're not getting to know the client and having conversations to make them aware of the things that you can do for them.
2: And I guess advisory has been a lot more established in the UK uh, for a long time. I know I've had some really interesting conversations when I was over there for the QB Connect London. Um, and, you know, there's that, always this big debate of, you know, we've always talked about Australia being in the future because they're a day ahead of us, uh, but also being some of the leaders in what's going on in accounting and technology, obviously because of what's happened with a lot of the technology there. Um, but in a lot of ways, the UK has been some of the leaders in advisory. Uh, would it be fair to say that well?
0: I, I, I don't know. I think I think the... the... The, uh, the, the the chartered accountants, whether that be ICAW or ACCA in, in the UK, um, have, have always done this thing of saying, hey, we're chartered accountants and business advisors. Um, uh, but actually, uh, that's like people saying we're proactive accountants. It, it's kind of everyone says they're a proactive accountant. And, and what does that mean? Well, they, they ask the client for their accounts uh, once a year um, and that's proactivity. Um, so I, I think that, that there's, there's perhaps a perception that they're doing it but when you when you dig down into it um you get beyond the, the the bigger firms that have got corporate finance and insolvency and wealth management and all of those other things there's there's not a huge amount of people I think I think the problem is everybody does advise it they just don't charge for it um yeah. so they they do it when a client asks them for a bit of advice they give it um and they don't charge yeah. about it hey we, we, we're guilty of that and uh i think most most people are most accountants are over servicing and undercharging their clients um yeah uh, it's just knowing what's what's in scope and what's out of scope and and knowing uh, what you're doing will so you yeah I don't I,
1: know. will you've been i know you've been uh, working on a new project um around kind of apps and advisory and uh, digital advisory you know i don't you know however you're approaching or calling it uh, yeah. I'd love to hear more a little bit more about it and um what what you're kind of doing in that route around kind of apps and how it that interfaces with advisory.
0: Yeah, cool. Um uh, so I think that, that we've we've got these huge ecosystems, whether whether it's zero, seven hundred and fifty and QBOs, however many QBOs is. Um Uh, I think we as as accountants if we're using this technology we kind of need to make sure that that as well as making our own businesses as efficient as we possibly can that we have a role to make sure our clients' businesses are efficient as they can be as well Um, and I don't know about you guys but some stats in in the UK we're still only at about 20% adoption um, of cloud accounting in the UK Um, so we're kind of just touching the surface and of those those 20% a lot of those are still getting their head around kind of accounting and pre-accounting so they're still working through the receipt bank auto entry um hub doc type type situation and understanding how that works so to start talking about verticals and and epos and inventory and job management and everything else it's like just a minefield um, so I'm working with a couple of guys uh, that we know in the UK and we're building a, a solution that we hope is is going to help firms um, uh, monetize the opportunities that app, app advisory gives. Um, so we're doing a bunch of things around that. Firstly, we're building a, a, an independent app database because you can go to to QBO and they've got their marketplace. You go to 0 they've got their marketplace. But a lot of what we hear certainly from the firms that, that are doing stuff with apps is like, just because it's on one of these directories doesn't mean the integration is any good. So we want to kind of drill down a bit more into, well, how good is the integration and, and how easy is it to implement and all of this kind of stuff. Um, so we're going to build this database. We're, we're also going to provide kind of first line help desk support for uh, uh, for accountancy firms around, around apps. Um, we've had it a few times where we've kind of spent five or six hours researching an answer to a problem and the idea is that that we'll build great supplier relationships with these uh, these vendors, so we can we can almost bypass and shortcut the the service um, uh, desk to to support our our accountants. So uh, so that's something we're working on. It's early days. We're uh, we're, we're signing up a few uh, founder app partners to to get their perspective of what they need from it, um, and we've got a few accounting firms coming on board as founder members, so we can have a couple of sounding boards and and build something that uh, that, that kind of works. So that's the plan. That so, sounds pretty I, amazing. I
3: wanted, I wanted to follow up on, on the whole concept of implementing apps. Um, I, I think that a lot of accounting professionals, when the client says, hey, I'm adding this app to QuickBooks or whatever, they don't they don't stop to tell the client, hold on, is this something that you want me to be involved with or not? Because our client's, install random programs in their computers all the time. Adobe PDF, some alternative to Adobe PDF, Photoshop, you know, whatever. And they don't get us involved in any of these other apps. And this is something that we don't even deal with day to day. But when the app touches accounting or finance in one way, shape or form, I think a lot of times we feel we got stuck fixing the whole problem with these people connecting the app and we don't tell the client, hey, wait, wait, stop for a second. Are you doing this on your own or do you want us involved? Right? No, no, don't worry. I'll do it on my own. I'll ask you a question when I need to. And you can't kind of have to draw the line and say, no, no, no. We're either involved or not. Yeah. Involved means I will call tech support when there's a problem. I will find out a, an alternative. I will uh, test it rigorously. I will try to infer from the questions your employees asking me whether or not this app is actually helping you achieve your goals. I will mesh, help you measure whether the implementation of this app is actually increasing productivity or decreasing productivity. Are we automating or just spending more time finagling with the other app, hopefully that that extra finagling causes automation on the other side. But when you net the amount of work spent on everything, it's more work. So you want me involved or not? And when they say, no, no. Okay. It sounds like I want you involved. And at that point you say, okay, that's going to be an app advisory engagement or whatever. You have to give it a price tag. You have to know, uh, you, have, you have to be able to invest in time with it because the problem what happens is then we just run into a situation where, ah, oh, that kind of screwing things up again. And, and, and you always feel like you're catching up and stuff like that because you weren't involved or you didn't call it a formal engagement. So I think yep. that with apps, that stuff catches us by surprise all the time. So we have to be able to give it a name. I think when, when you label things, when you give them titles, you give them meaning. You know, yep. when they say, yeah, I'll help you with the app. No, that's the worst thing you can do. I'm not helping you with the app. I'm doing an <laughs> engagement surrounding, yep. you know, getting to the end goals of implementing this app. Yes or no?
0: And, and it's going back and understanding because it's really easy to just think, oh, you will chuck an app in. But it's, it's like, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Um, and that's, that's got to be the start point every time um, because the problem that they're trying to be solving may not be the one that they initially think they're trying to solve. Um, so it's it's getting, getting kind of under the bonnet and understanding what is it you're trying to do um, uh, and, and then going out to market and finding an app that fits rather than finding an app and then trying to find a problem to make it fix.
3: Now, Will, let me ask yeah. you a question. Tell me if this happens in the UK. It'll, it'll be the last question, Andrew, and I'll pass it over to you. Um, <laughs> I've met a lot of accounting professionals. I do a lot of consulting with other accountants that want to learn how to use QuickBooks better, faster, et cetera, et cetera. That what they do is they have their own set of books where the client doesn't touch, right? They get bank statements, they get credit cards, they do everything cash basis, and they present to their clients their own internally prepared books. And that's that's what they give to them. And if the client never shows up with any additional numbers, that's what ends up going in the tax return. And then simultaneously the accountants know the clients have their own QuickBooks, their own Sage, their own Peachtree, their own zero, whatever. And then they let the client do whatever they want on their side. We'll do our thing. Maybe, maybe there's a a session where you kind of compare the two and the accountant just dismisses anything that's on the client's uh, reports. And they say, you know what? Yeah, but yours is crap anyway. We'll use mine, but it was cute. Um, and they kind of make hard separation between my books and your books, and that's yeah. a there's a whole slew of accountants that do that, and there's very few of us that that are brave because it, it really takes bravery to say yeah we're gonna collaborate on the on the books, and then yeah. we get into this carfuffle of dealing with cleanup and stuff like that. So does that happen yeah. in the UK? Is that a thing in the UK as well?
0: Yeah, I think I think it does. And it's 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 something that I talk about a lot when I when I speak and I work with, with other accounting firms is that that we've we've certainly seen that. It's it's so the, the start point of this I tell accountants you've got to own process and you've got to own ideally the end-to-end process. If you can do that, then you've cracked it. But even if you don't own the end-to-end process, you've got to dictate the process. Because if we're if we're telling people you need to move away from hourly billing, you need to move to fixed fees. If you're going to charge a fixed fee, you've got to control the process because if you don't control the process, you can't control the profitability. Um, So those two things have got to come together. And if you control the process and you say, right, this is a platform, this is a technology stack you've got to use. This is how you've got to use it. Then we've got certainty. We know what we're picking up. It fits within our internal processes and everything else. Um, It kind of works. And for so long accountants have let clients dictate the process. So a client comes along and you say, hey, how do you keep your records? And they say, oh, I use a spreadsheet or I use QuickBooks Desktop or I use Sage or whatever it is. And the stock answer is, well, that's fine. We can work with anything. Um, and, and that's where the problem comes. And, and that's where what you're talking about, Hector, happens, because they they'll whatever system they've got internally, they'll recreate the records in the systems that they use internally. So effectively, you're charging a client to redo the work that the client's already done. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't fit well with me. So, control the process, so and and not be afraid to say to a client that you you you've got to use this technology solution. If you don't, we'll introduce you to somebody that we know will look after you and do do a great job. Um, and yeah, we've got to move away from this idea of of recreating clients' records and uh, and and charging them for redoing the work that they've already done themselves. That that just doesn't sit in in today's accountancy profession in my view but it right. happens so how,
2: how do you know when is when you've got to work with what they've got the right tools that they're already using and when you need to shift them over to new products do you rely on a standard app stack or do you say okay let me take a look at what you're doing you know you've got some things that are working other things that aren't um let's stick with a and b let's drop c and let's add d you know does every situation need to be sort of highly tailored or do you do your best to sort of work with what they've got um or is, is the job really to come in and say okay what works here what doesn't work and what do we add
0: yeah for, for i mean uh, for us it's a case of we have we have a tech stack and everybody uses that tech stack if they don't then they're not a client um it, we, we're kind of that that black and white with it um and that's just because we've built really great processes that that Rely on us doing the same thing in terms of processing, um, with with every client, that's at, that's at the core in terms of the the general ledger and the pre accounting. Um, uh, anything else fits around the the client. So uh, uh, other apps that we might we might integrate uh, is client specific, but in terms of of our core input, process, output, that's a standard tech stack, um, uh, and, and work with that solution.
2: And If you don't mind me asking what's the, what's your standard go to uh, uh
0: so we use the bank um we use zero uh, and we use uh, a combination of, of fathom and futurely uh, uh and sorry uh, Futurly and float um uh, for uh, uh, dashboards and and reporting uh cash flow forecasting uh and so on. Um, and then in the UK, there's, uh, there's a company called Iris that, that, that kind of provides compliance software for almost half of the UK market. So we use their annual accounts and, and tax products. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's been an evolution. So uh, at kind of our, our background, we were probably one of the first 100% cloud practices globally uh, back in 2009. So we've kind of lived in, lived in the cloud since 2009. Um, we originally partnered with a firm called Cashflow. Um, which was a, the, the kind of probably the first accounting SaaS product that was built back in two thousand and five, um, and we partnered with uh, with them until uh, about twenty fourteen, um, when uh, uh, their development wasn't what well, they'd sold out. Um, Incentive sold sold to uh, to Iris, funnily enough, um, and and the, the development wasn't happening. Um, so we looked around again at the market then, and uh, uh, and felt back then that, that that Zero were the the dominant force. Um, so we moved about 550 clients off of cash flow onto Zero um, around that time. Uh, I think it's it's exciting now. I think from a from a a, a functionality uh perspective i think q b o and and zero are kind of head to head it comes down to to user preference now i think and that's uh, uh that's great that creates competition in the market which is uh, uh which is brilliant but but we've kind of got ourselves to to that point um uh and and um, right now we're still single platform um, but we're, we're growing our business and we're doing a bit of acquisition and we may end up, uh, um, uh, we, work, we work in pods. So part of our process and our structure is that, that we operate in pods of four. Uh, so we have a, a manager, a senior and two trainees in a pod and they do everything for the client um, except payroll, which is done by a central team. Um, and, and that pod can deliver about 250,000 pounds of, of revenue uh, and they do everything for the client, so it's quite easy that actually what we could do going forward is we could create a QBO pod, uh, and the QBO pod could look after all our QBO clients, and uh, and that's the way that that we could start to broaden our our tech stack. But but right now it's a case of everyone uses zero, um, but yeah. hey, things change.
2: And so you've you've been in this for a long time before, um, you know, a lot of the major softwares like Xero and QBO were popular, like, like you said, we're still early days, it's 20 to 30% of the population that are adopting the technology. Is things like making tax digital, making it easier and, and, and picking up the adoption speed for people on, on these tech stacks?
0: I, I think, uh, so for those that, that aren't aware, we've got this thing called MTD, making tax digital in the UK, which is uh, that the UK government uh, have this objective to be the most technologically advanced um, uh, tax uh, authority in the world. Uh, they've got a long way to go, let me, uh, let me assure you of that. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, so for VAT returns um, as of uh, April this year, uh, every VAT registered business has to now file their, their VAT returns from compliance software. Um, uh, but as we as we got nearer to the to, to d-day um, everything got softened a little bit so you can now use what they call bridging software which means you can still use spreadsheets. Um, so, so yes' it's, it's helped adoption um, but it's still giving people an opt-out. Um, which has, has slowed down the adoption, uh, there's still huge swathes of the market that are just saying, hey, we, we still don't see the point of having to uh, having to do this. I can use a, a 10-year-old version of, of Sage or uh, or whatever to, to keep records and I can use bridging software to make it work and file um, and I'm like banging my head against the wall and saying to these guys, look, you've got, you've got this once-in-a-generation opportunity to fundamentally change what you do and how how you do it and you can blame it on the government and you still don't want to take the opportunity um so it's, it's really frustrating but uh, yeah it, it's driving adoption and mtd and 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 things like it are going to hit everybody at some point uh the governments have, have got to, to to look at, at digitalization and and uh, using it to reduce error and all these other things that hmrc um are saying are driving the need for mtd
2: Right. I mean, it's so interesting what a, what a role, you know, government and regulation um, plays. It was, it was, it was really interesting for me to hear in in some of the conversations when we were trying to get topic ideas for for tonight um, that in Australia, bookkeeping is a regulated profession um, and that you can't, you can't just go out and be a bookkeeper, which I think is really interesting. I mean, I I wouldn't mind necessarily seeing that in Canada. What are your thoughts, Hector and, and Michael on, you know, if, if, the government in the U S were to regulate bookkeeping and not, not every Tom, Dick and Harry could come out and be a bookkeeper. You actually had to be certified.
1: Yeah. I I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of it. Um, of that idea of, of one, well, one, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. I mean, you, they literally can't even regulate tax preparation. I mean, you don't, you don't have (laughs) to, you don't actually have to be certified to do tax prep in the U S you can just do tax prep. And then as, as long as you register for a, Uh, a number with the IRS, let's call it a registration number now. They don't require a whole lot, which is interesting. But also if you think about small business and innovation, let's say a small business owner is doing their own bookkeeping. Do they have to register themselves, right, to be a certified bookkeeper? Um, Or let's say they want a family member to do the bookkeeping, like uh, their wife is an office admin and, and does the bookkeeping. Does their wife have to register? So there's all these implications around that in the US that would, I think, Provide limitations um, now. I think where where the advantage could be is people. And this is what people have tried: is people go get a certified professional bookkeeper certification, or they go to school and they get an associates in accounting or bookkeeping. That's where they can stand out in value. So they, they let the market dictate um, the 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 unique value proposition or the um, you know the skill set of the person, and they let the market frankly evaluate. Um, how they're doing now what's interesting is when you get the really you know you've all done this we've we've interacted with the terrible bookkeeper right absolutely terrible where where uh, clients have come to us and they've come from these consistently terrible bookkeepers there's actually no place to report that a bookkeeper has actually abused um, their power with an entrepreneur and frankly, most entrepreneurs are too afraid to sue a bookkeeper in the U.S. because they're embarrassed um, that they let a bookkeeper take advantage of them. And we've we've had this instance come up time and time again here in our little state, where we we actually know several bookkeepers that they should not be doing bookkeeping um, because they have literally either taken advantage or on purpose with negligence um, not filed taxes on time, like payroll taxes or sales taxes and cause pain on these entrepreneurs' lives, but the entrepreneur's just too embarrassed to, to do anything about it. So that's been very interesting to watch here in the US.
3: I agree with Michael on the, on the stunting of innovation, potentially, as a matter of fact, you would argue the reason why CPA profession is zero innovative. I mean, when I say zero, it's zero. It's because it's a protected career. It's not even regulated, exactly. it's a protected career. You know, once you're a CPA, you're, you're, you're very well protected by the state and by the AICPA because you're paying $1,000 a year or whatever to maintain your certifications. You know, it's it's a racket, man. The, the whole thing is a racket. I mean, I'm very proud of, of becoming a CPA. I'm proud of the hard work I put into it. I'm proud of the additional work I, I do to educate myself and get my CPEs. But this overregulation has has really stunned stunt. Uh, innovation and all these accountants that do. I mean, look. In generally, in generally speaking, accountants provide value. I'm sure that across the board, accountants are professional and they're ethical and they provide value. But the bulk of accountants still resist QuickBooks Online, not because they truly, truly are afraid of of, of how potentially unsecure the cloud can be teachers don't want to learn and they don't feel like they have to, right? Because they technically they don't, right? Because you get default business. CPAs get default business because regulation stunts the ability from anybody else to do something. Now you could argue that, hey, th- there needs to be a cert- set of standards or the public needs to know that they're hiring someone that's that's qualified. People make the argument towards doctors all the time. So, oh, we're going to deregulate accountants. Should we deregulate doctors? Uh, You know, that's kind of, it's different. Okay. I know they're both professions and they're both uh, licensed. So I I think that if you bring official licensing to bookkeepers, it's going to be even worse for a profession because what's going to happen is the the more you disallow people to get creative in this space, you're gonna. The, there's gonna be a much bigger proliferation of apps and self accounting uh, tools where people are gonna say, you know what, I don't want to go to this old, you know, uh, overly regulated bookkeeper to do my work. I'm just gonna go for an app. So I think it's gonna get even worse for a profession if you insert more more regulation. So to answer your question, Andrew, I think it's a bad idea, and I think it's a great idea to figure out how to deregulate the CPA profession as well. I think that would be beneficial to us maybe a topic for a different podcast but uh yeah, those are my thoughts on that
0: yeah there's no protection oh, in the UK. no protection in the uk either so any anyone in the uk can call himself an accountant um uh we've, we've got we've got the professional bodies um uh, and there's regular conversations about protecting the term but it, it's it's never happened so anyone can can call himself an accountant in the uk
3: what what do you, how do you feel okay. about that will is that is that is that detrimental
0: or um, good, uh... I, I think that that it's from from the the public perception point of view, the public don't know. I used to when I first set my firm up. I, while I was while I was growing that, I did some freelance tutoring, and I was tutoring final stage chartered accountants. Um, uh, and and I used to teach a paper called Professional Accountant, and and in that I would talk about the, the, this idea about protecting the accountancy term, um, and they didn't know. So these were these were final stage accountancy students that that were at the end of six years worth of, of of kind of study to qualify as an accountant, and they didn't know that they could call themselves an accountant without doing those six years. Um, so <laughs> if if the guys that are going to be the accountants don't know what what hope as as Joe vlogs on on the street got of knowing that that anyone just because you go to somebody that call themselves an accountant. Um, they're not necessarily a qualified accountant. So, so I think it's a challenge. Uh, I mean, there's, there's always these arguments that, that um, everybody makes assumptions around the fact that somebody isn't qualified is no good. Um, and somebody that's qualified is, um, and, and that's, that, that's poor assumption because you can get really bad qualified accountants and you can get really good unqualified accountants. Um, but, there's, there's got to be there's got to be something i mean hmrc have done some stuff around tightening up uh control over anti-money laundering and, and things like that so people now have to register uh for for aml if they haven't got a professional body they have to register with with hmrc um to do that but uh yeah it's 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 a challenge because it's an education thing because people aren't aware and and the the the, the the advantages of using somebody that belongs to a professional body is we have to have pi insurance somebody that that isn't regulated can operate with no no professional indemnity insurance so if they do screw up um it's like the the, the client's left high and dry um foot in the bill
3: i'll just give you my argument against the regulation and I'm, i'll do it this way in today's world if you wanted to if you were if you wanted to work on an airplane if you want to be an airplane me- mechanic of any sort you have to have strict regulation right because you're dealing with you know you're dealing with a machine that people fly in that you know it's very dangerous if the person is not qualified to work on an airplane engine a part, landing gear whatever if there was such if that regulation existed the Wright brothers would never have invented the the the, the, the airplane that carried the first man now I know that sounds ridiculous. It's like, oh, well, wait a minute, Hector. What do you mean? Airplanes didn't even exist. There was nothing to regulate. That's the problem. The problem is in the absence of regulation, new things are created because because people are given the open license to do things. So if you regulate accounting profession and bookkeeping profession and accounting software profession and tax software profession, and you start regulating these things, none of these great things that that have happened through these years you know, cloud and all these apps would have ever been invented because all these everybody would be complying to rules rather than creating the new standard. You, you know what I mean? So the problem with regulation is that it it, it 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 forces you to go back to a specific standard. But yes, it's I mean, it's it sucks to get a really crappy professional. It sucks. It sucks to get a person that called themselves one thing and they lied and they weren't. And it sucks when. You know, a certain thing that you need get to get done in your house doesn't require a license, and somebody that's really negligent comes in and screws that up. But you know, I don't think government's gonna solve solve this problem. I think the, I think the markets will uh, solve solve this issue. I think that maybe we should invest in educating the consumers a bit and knowing where they can go, find resource and check for reputation and all the stuff, rather than spending too much money in the, in in regulating. That's that's my take on that. Let let me
2: let me play devil's advocate for a second here. Um so you say when we have regulation, we do stump innovation. Um but there's you know certain things that are, you know, really critical. Like imagine electric electricians. If electricians weren't regulated and any Joe Blow could come into your house and rewire your house, and next thing you know, you've got houses burning down all over the place. Well, that's what's happening today with people's books. People's books are getting burnt to the ground. I'll make
3: I'll make a counter argument to that. You go back 100 years and the plug where you plug your device looks exactly the same from 100 years ago, right? The Rommel wire that goes inside your house, that wires the electricity in your house, looks exactly the same as if it was 100 years ago. Yes, man. Yes.
2: Uh, Absolutely not. We've been been through aluminum wiring. We've been through knob and tube. We've been through a lot of innovation, believe it or not.
3: Uh, maybe not relatively, relatively speaking <laughs> it, it's amazing how non-innovative an electric socket is it looks exactly the same as it did 100 years ago and that's because all electricians are following the rules that are set up instead of trying to create the new light socket that's different that's floating that's wireless I don't know I mean I don't know what the answer is but it really okay. hasn't changed I mean that's the only electricity part and again yeah. I don't want any houses to burn down I agree with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on innovation. I think there's actually still been lots of innovation with power and electrical. You look at Wemo switches, you look at Z-Wave switches. There's actually a lot more innovation than you may realize going on with even your internal wiring. But my point being, nonetheless, that we all, every one of us on this call today, have come across a set of books prepared by someone who wasn't qualified to prepare those books. And oftentimes, it's a result of a business owner either going to someone that they thought was qualified or giving it to their aunt or their mother-in-law or whoever else. And having some level of basic certification that you knew that if someone's going to do your set of books, even if it's your aunt, even if it's yourself, that if you had to have a certain level of knowledge in order to do that so that your books don't burn to the ground because that's been you know, the downfall of a lot of businesses. And I think if business owners had to have a mandatory knowledge of cash flow management, that would be a huge improvement for so many small business owners. I don't think it would be a bad thing to have a minimum level of knowledge guaranteed on anyone submitting a corporate tax return. Uh, But I'm gonna play devil's advocate and and I know that uh, I'm the odd man out on this one. So I will concede to the masses. Uh, But I think that there's benefit to to regulation. And I think that people still, uh, you know, we still do see innovation within accounting. Yes, it's usually the outliers. It's the Hawaiian shirt wearing guys, you know, but there are accountants out there that are doing things differently, even though they still abide by the rules and the regulations of of the industry. You know, Jason Bloomer is, you know, one of those guys I look at as someone who was You know, he was an accountant and he was leading the way early on in innovation, despite the fact that he still had to abide by the same code of conduct and all the policies and rules that everyone else in our industry did. So there's there's innovation coming out of the accounting world. I think you're right. I think that, you know, you know, having to follow a certain standard and a certain process does limit the masses. But I think there's always going to be those people, those outliers in the community who are thinking outside the box, who want to try new things. And I don't think that having a certain base knowledge limits you from experimenting and trying new things. Well,
1: that's, this is why, uh, this is why Hector and I are in the U S and uh, you're in <laughs> Canada and Will's in the UK. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes, you know, on innovation there. Um, Will, you know, that we're, we wanna, we want to, we want to honor your time. We were, we used to try to go about an hour. Yeah. And, and so we want to wrap things up, but we want to plug your books. So, um. Why don't you tell tell the audience about your books that you you have out, just so that everyone can kind of look you up? And what's the best way to reach out to you if they want to reach out to you?
0: Cool. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. So, um, uh, last year, 2018, um, I wrote a book called D- The Digital Firm. Uh, which is is almost a, a kind of bit of a history of uh, of what we've done in, in our firm having kind of lived in the cloud over 10 years. I think the, the, the key thing is that uh, uh, being in the cloud longer than most people just mean I've screwed up more times than than everybody else um, so the book is is about sharing what I think firm should be doing. Um, it's sharing the screw ups that I made on the way uh, it's, it's got a UK focus um, but Uh, I know some of uh, uh, the the, certainly copies that have sold in the US and and Canada uh, and I've had great feedback from people out there that have read it so ignore the MTD and VAT references um, but the rest of it uh, is is relevant wherever you are in the world Um, so you can get that on Amazon. Um, I've got a site that I uh, use for my consulting and, and work I do with accountants, which is just willfarnell.com. Um so take a look there, but with shipping it'll be cheaper to get it on Amazon if you want to uh, want to have a read. Um uh but yeah that's uh uh that's me and it's it's been an absolute absolute pleasure and my apologies for the for the Wi-Fi uh broadband issues <laughs> that I missed 15 minutes um okay. of the session but uh, uh we, we, yeah. we got that at the end.
2: Yeah, well, and it doesn't help that I also posted to the wrong page. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it's summer hours, we're all not 100%, and you've got a better excuse than the rest of us because it's a hell of a lot earlier for you than it is for the rest of us here. So yeah, thank you very much
0: for... We're going to see the sunrise in a few minutes. We're on the East Coast, oh, so we, we get to see the sunrise.
2: You've got to turn the camera and show us the sunrise before we dial out. Not that
0: quite yet, but... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's still black. Yeah, we it's 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 not quite black anymore, but it's but it's not it's not bright either. Right, somewhere in That's between. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks, Will. It's, it's really good.
1: been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much.
0: Pleasure, yeah, guys. Thank I'm, you, Will. Uh, enjoy your sleep. I'm I'm going to start my weekend.
1: All right. Enjoy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> get some breakfast. Get hope- some breakfast. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Cheers, guys. See you soon.